0: We hope you enjoy the show, as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, there's been a huge rise in social enterprises, larger corporations that have a social impact arm, as well as B Corps. This has had a lot of nonprofits wondering, what is the long-term impact on nonprofits going to be with all of this new, quote, competition? Well, my guest today has started a network of leaders from across sectors that includes for-profit, non-profit, and cultural organizations. My guest is Ian Schaefer. Ian's the CEO and co-founder of Kindred, which is a membership network that provides opportunities for peer-to-peer collaboration and access to research data, as well as experts who can help business leaders make better informed decisions about company policies and actions, and at the end of the day, work with nonprofits better. Members include more than 200 C suite executives from Fortune 500 companies, nonprofit, and cultural organizations, which include Facebook, Chobani, Nike, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Now, I think you're going to really appreciate Ian's perspective that has come from years of working with some of today's largest companies and how they can better collaborate with today's nonprofits. Enjoy today's show. Ian, great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for taking time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you are the CEO and co-founder of Kindred. So let's just start out. Give my audience a quick overview of Kindred. What do you do? And why did you start Kindred in the first place?
1: (laughs) So let's start with what is Kindred. Kindred is an executive network that's built for the future of socially responsible and equitable business. One of the things that we found in speaking to leaders of both for-profits and non-profits is that oftentimes the thing that stands in the way of a good decision is confidence preparation, I guess, author- authoritative and decisiveness, right? And, and what we've seen happen over the last you know, several decades is uh, sometimes the decision about what is the right thing to do never gets made because of the, the perceived risk of making it. I, I call it the fear of effing up, uh, right? And so, uh, FOFU is my exactly. acronym for it. And, and lots of leaders have that, right? And sometimes they feel like avoiding trouble is the best way to stay out of it. But I think what, what's happened instead Is that organizations and again both for-profits and non-profits are now facing accountability in ways that they've never had before and those calls are coming from shareholders stakeholders from inside the house (laughs) right in the form of employees um and you know providing a proper check and balance on the way that these organizations are governed and i think that's okay but i also think it's very disruptive to business as usual and i've seen that disruption before Prior to starting Kindred, I, I, I ran an agency that I started, ad agency that I started back in 2002 called Deep Focus. And uh, we had started early on in the days of digital and then social business transformation, right? Companies waking up to the fact that if they don't have an e-commerce presence, they're toast, right? If they aren't actively telling their stories in social media, there are going to be other companies you know, who wind up taking their shelf space because they have more interesting stories. So all of these things were happening in companies, you know, we were, were thinking like, what can we do? So their knee-jerk reaction was to hire a chief digital officer and basically silo the problem. When the reality is that problem was actually systemic, endemic, inherent, right? To, to the, uh, to the organization and the way it operated. And so, um, nothing really happened until it became the CEO's job. And when it's the CEO's job, it becomes a business transformation issue and, uh, it just ratchets, ratchets up the priority on that. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is that accountability is the great disruptor. It's not digital, it's not social. I th- but I think those play a role in accountability. But when, you know, or the, all these organizations have to say, like, all right, if we're not doing something on clean energy, investors are not going to be happy, right? So it's no longer doing good is good for business because of the bottom line or the way consumers feel about the marketplace. It's now shareholders, too, investors, right? And you don't just have to be an ESG investor to understand what the upside is of doing that. And so, we started um, thinking about this as a business transformation issue. And in doing so, what we had originally set out to do was create an event to draw attention to that, to create the largest event for business leaders to focus on all of the areas of environmental, social and governance issues that were facing them and treating again that responsibility, not as corporate social responsibility, but as a business transformation issue. And we got very close to pulling that event off of the schedule for May of 2020 in at the San Diego Convention Center obviously uh covid had other plans and so uh so we had to make our other plans we had uh, first postponed it until uh september of 2020 and then uh we had eventually had to indefinitely postpone it which is what the state of that event is but one of the things that that covid did was actually show us just how inequitable like pain suffering access is to anything right and so um, w- once we realized that, and once companies kind of emerged from their period of saying, look at us, we're making hand sanitizer and masks, they also started, people started asking them, well, what are you doing for your workers, for example, who are now um, having to work remotely? What are you doing as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement in treating people fairly and equitably? What are you doing on all of these issues? And I think eventually like, these companies realized that they had to do something about everything. And, uh, the way they addressed it externally, the way they addressed it internally needed to be reconciled. Their intents needed to actually lead to action. Otherwise they were going to get called out for it. And again, we just realized that what they, what leaders of companies needed was confidence, support and a network of peers to help them feel like they're not alone on these journeys, that every decision isn't the hardest decision they've ever made. Um, and that they can celebrate incrementalism and not, you know, you don't have to be an activist to do the right thing.
0: No, that's super helpful. And as you, you know, Kindred, as I understand it, is a membership network, essentially, that provides opportunities for peer-to-peer collaboration. You have access to research data, as well as experts, to help business leaders make better informed decisions, as you were mentioning, about company policies and actions. I really like, too, uh, the difference between external and internal, and having, making sure that there's integration between the two. And incrementalism is OK, right? That To give people a little bit of a break, that as long as you're moving forward, making progress, I think that's uh, really, really smart. Well. Now you've been quoted as saying that companies need to change the way they do business by adopting a way of doing business that puts the long-term needs and values of their stakeholders, like customers, employees, communities on par, if not above the short-term needs of their shareholders. So talk more about that. Like You're getting down to it. You just mentioned a little bit, but uh, what does this look like when it comes to decision-making within companies?
1: Yeah, so we've emerged, I I, I believe, into a stakeholder-driven economy. There, there, you know, for, for decades, we were operating with the old kind of Milton Friedman, you know, trickle down economics kind of theory where like if companies made a lot of money, enough checks would get written in nonprofits for the good work to be done. But I I think what that discounted was the role that companies play in society, right? With the number of people that they employ, their, their, their footprint in communities, their responsibility into like the social safety net. Um, like in terms of healthcare has the, really the number one source of health insurance. For, for so many Americans. And so it is essential that they have a better understanding of the issues that, again, both their customers, their employees, and their investors, you know, feel are important from a, a day-to-day basis. And obviously it affects each one of them differently as stakeholders. But investors are now leaning into companies, for example, that are investing heavily in clean energy, right? They are leaning heavily in, uh, into, more heavily into companies that have a more diverse board because that, that, that communicates a, a, a smaller or maybe no vulnerability when it comes to getting called out for not having one, right? And so that's a risk eliminated. So, so it it, it, it turns out that taking action on these issues actually mitigates risk, as opposed to avoiding all of these issues. And so I, I think historically that again that was a, that was a very emotional story, but the fact that it's becoming a more practical story and a story for pragmatists as opposed to you know just you know people who uh, you know, want to shove inspiration in our face every day. I think that the 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 difference. Um, you know, between the companies that you know, like talk a big game and do a big game, is going to be their performance. And uh, I think what we've seen time and time again is that companies that do lean into these issues, companies that do take a stand, you know, on issues that affect the, their stakeholders, are going to be the ones that benefit in the long run. But they're starting to benefit in the short run too. And I think that is the signal that was needed to say, hey, the water's warm, coast is clear. Now is the time to do all of those things that you've been talking about doing for so long. And I think it's also why you see a backlash to that happening right now as well. Like kind of like the anti-woke, I'll put that in big air quotes, (laughs) anti-woke movement that seems to be disproportionately coming from CTOs for some reason, chief technology officers, who I think are probably driven by like dreams of pure meritocracies. I think that is just, again, like a reflux, you know, to, to, to the shifting, changing winds. That, that, that are blowing right now. And so it's, uh, I think the time has finally come for this and I think it's why we are here, why um, not just individuals are becoming members of Kindred, but companies and like bands of talent, including like you, you, we're, we have several instances where, where several members of a nonprofit are members of Kindred because of how integrated they are with, with corporate peers. right? And so it's been very uh, inspiring for me to actually see the action happen Whereas I think the, the, the previous version of me would have been inspired by the TV spots that these companies have made. Um, I think the action is where the rubber meets the road, and I'm glad to see that's happening more often.
0: Well, it's interesting that because you know I, I failed to mention that like some of these companies that are you know working with you include Facebook and Javani and Nike and NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. I mean, you have some great you know well-known organizations that have joined, jumped in and are joining you. Now, one thing I want to just talk a bit about now before the show, I mentioned or asked you about uh, where you stand and, and kind of on this one question. And first of all, for my listeners, so Kindred is a B Corp or they're a pending B Corp, and we've had people on the show before talking about B Corps and the difference that they bring to the table. And there's just a huge rise, Ian, as you've seen, I know, with corporations, major corporations, now having a philanthropic arm or having a social impact director that they hire that start doing things as a outgrowth of their company that really, it's all about the social good rather than the bottom line in terms of dollars. With the rise in social enterprises, large corporations that have this social impact arm, and B Corps like yourselves, how do these all come together and, Maybe in the one hand, not eclipse nonprofits that are already in the space, but at the same time, come alongside nonprofits so that together we're all doing something together to make a difference in the world. How do you see all these uh, different uh, players coming together?
1: Yeah. So the, the way I think about B corporations and, and becoming one ourselves is that it is um, primarily a governance issue. I, I don't see it as necessarily like the way to make an impact. I see it as the way to guarantee that you're going to make one. Right. It's the way, it's the, the lens by which you filter your decisions through, which I also believe is what the future definition of a brand will be. Like how closely the actions matches the words that you're using or, or, or the, the logo <laughs> that you have. Right. I think reconciling that is going to be really important. I think what, what, um, being a B corporation is going to enable us to do. And, and so it, it's interesting. Like I've seen actually members and member organizations of Kindred become B corps because they were members. In Kindred, which is a wonderful thing to have happen. I mean, B Lab, which is the company that implements that, that status, um, is a member of Kindred as well. You know, again, I, I don't see it as something that is making for-profit companies competitive with nonprofit. I actually see it as something that makes them more likely to partner with them and use them as a logistical partner as opposed to just a, like a, a check or grant recipient. And I know that's, that's a really important thing for nonprofits. But I think for, for, I think nonprofits of the present and future are going to have to think more about how they can be part of a solution for companies as opposed to, again, just maybe, uh, and I say this with peace and love, but a way to launder a company's reputation. I think it's, it's, it's critical. Like I, like there, there is, um, you know, a story that ran the other day and these are, this is a kindred member, Wells Fargo, you know, becoming a, a partner for 110, which is a nonprofit designed to get 10 million new black hires into the workforce and you know i think that's like that's a fantastic initiative right and that's wells fargo not just writing a check to 110 but actually leaning on the services that 110 provides to help make that dream a reality and i think that is again like historically nonprofits have worked in communities in the field at street level to make things happen but i also think they're going to have to learn how to operate at a higher level to ensure that again those kinds of partnerships with for with for profits are able to satisfy those for-profit needs to take action in communities and use the nonprofits as an execution arm. And I I think that's totally fine. And I think that's, again, part of what's going to happen when more companies discover the benefits of becoming a B Corporation.
0: We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, it's interesting, you know, you already gave an example of Wells Fargo. Is there another example or two of a corporation that has really come together well with a nonprofit or there's a B Corp that's really launched, that's made a big difference that you would point to, to say, this is an example of what we're all trying to do?
1: Yeah. um, Havas, speaking of ad agencies, Havas, which is a big communications firm, you know, Havas New York is becoming a, a B Corporation, right? And that's happening again, like through the exposure that they've had to that, you know, via Kindred, their CEO is a member. She's absolutely wonderful. And this is the, the kind of company that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be one. Um, I think historically, when you've looked at bad behavior, a lot of that happens in the communications and media industry. So the fact that this one organization is stepping up and taking a stand and saying enough is enough, we're going to be something different. Like To me, that's incredible. right? And the fact that that decision is being led from the top and not from a change agent, right? who probably historically has probably disproportionately felt the bad stuff, which is why they want to change the way the company operates, it's just an unfair burden for them. And I think in this case, the fact that it's coming from, again, leadership, very vocally, might I add, is going to be a wonderful signal that I hope other companies, including ones in their industry, follow.
0: Uh, that's very helpful. Well, thank you for that. Now, back to Kindred, you were on track to launch a conference last year that you would have brought together corporate, nonprofit, cultural leaders, but that was scrapped because, of course, COVID, COVID hit. Terrible time because I think it was supposed to launch last May. Since then... Kindred has built an infrastructure around its mission to help leaders close the gap between intention and action, as you've already kind of been talking about, particularly in social issues like racial equity and sustainability. So talk about how did you pivot and what made it work that you were so nimble enough to make that switch in such a short amount of time?
1: Yeah, there there were a couple of insights that we had. I mean, one was that there was just a complete and utter lack of confidence and decision-making ability from leaders on these issues. So the, the, the sense of avoidance was real. Business had become... And there's a ton of research, including research from Edelman that supports this. Like business has become literally the only trusted institution left. I mean, think about that for a second. This is like, like wow. we've, lived, we've wow. lived through like lots of different eras. The FCC is out there penalizing companies left and right. You had like the smartest guys in the room at Enron, right? Like we've seen a lot of this, yet business is the most trusted institution. And I should say the only one that still has a surplus of trust. So to me, that screams opportunity, right? And so how can we take the trust that is, I would say, left, if not stored in this institution and unleash it in a way that can have positive effects? Because the other thing that we know is that, look, like 86% of consumers, and this is also according to uh, Edelman Research, 86% of consumers expect CEOs to publicly speak out on one or more social challenges, whether that's the pandemic pandemic. Job automation, societal issues, local community issues, and 68%, convenient palindrome there, inversion of numbers, um, say that CEOs should step in when government doesn't to help fix societal problems. So I think part of this is a complete and utter lack of faith in, in our government. And I think rest of it is hope that companies aren't out just there, aren't out there to just take our money, but they're there to give us jobs. They're there to support our communities. They're there to provide places to gather, right? And thank God that that's starting to happen again. So there, there, is a, there is a lot going on. But I think another thing that's happened is kind of like the fear of not doing it well or not doing it right, right? And so, like, there, there's been a lot of talk about cancel culture, like, throughout the year, but especially this year. And I think the term has been weaponized. But at the end of the day, what this is about is people now holding companies accountable because we all have access to more information. Like, we know. What they're doing when nobody's looking now that was it used to be like completely in a black box that we would never have any access to that information but now thanks to like a lot of the disclosures that companies have to make either voluntarily or through regulation we're starting to learn a lot more and sometimes what we see we don't like and now we've got platforms to be vocal about it and that's not to say like that that, that every company should play into the crowd or behave because behave a certain way because of what they might perceive as Like a group of people coming out to get them. The companies have been dealing with things like that for a very long time. But I think now what they can also see is that these are very real people and not like kind of organizations like PETA or Greenpeace, right? Like taking like like super aggressive moves against them to prove a point. Now we're starting to see like just even in comments on social media, like people saying, Yeah, I don't want to do business with that company. I don't trust them. I don't trust them to, to. yeah. And, and by the way, like consumers are starting to evaluate companies, not just whether or not they buy their products, but whether or not they would want to work there. So which, by the way, right. is a huge part of our identity. And I think right now, right now we're seeing that play out, right? That work, what we do for a living is a very large part of our identity. So I don't think this is like a new thing about being proud of where you work. I just think that the definition of pride has evolved. And we see that people are willing to take less in terms of even salary in order to work for an organization that you know, better aligns with its values. And I think that's why we see more business leaders in their prime starting to take roles at nonprofits. I think it used to be like a nonprofit was a great way to ride off into the sunset of your career. I think people are taking this a lot more seriously and they're realizing the urgency of what needs to happen. And they're ready to take their skills to that challenge just because it's probably not only a bigger one, but a more fulfilling.
0: You know, it's fascinating to bring that up because it's true. There's been recent reports about how particularly this next generation is choosing jobs based on the values of that company, not so much how much they get paid, what they're even doing at times. It's the values of the company. They just want to be a part of that. So fascinating. And and you mentioned something earlier too. I thought I want to just jump on that a second. 86% of the public expects CEOs to speak out on societal issues. You mentioned that there's trust still in companies, which is it is interesting when you look at the full landscape. Are there other reasons? Because that is a in my mind, it is a shift. It seems like somewhat a new thing the last couple of years, but in particular, I've seen the last year and a half, where more and more you're seeing large CEOs or large companies with CEOs speaking out on major issues of the day. What else has changed to cause that to happen in your mind?
1: I think there was in the mid-2000s to late 2000s, the social media was exploding. and Every CEO probably had somebody in their ear saying, you need to have a personal brand. Right? So like you need to, you need to have a presence on social media. People need to hear from you. And by the way, like that happens in cycles. We do this all the time. Like I remember when like like I'm barely old enough to remember like when Lee Iacocca was doing Chrysler commercials. how Probably Henry Ford people knew who ran, ran a, an automotive company. And now you have to see like all of a sudden like people now know who the CEO of Delta is and who the CEO of United is. And I think a lot of these things have something in common, which is like they're companies that people love to hate or complain about. And they need to blame somebody. And I think that what people have realized is that companies don't make decisions, people do. So who are the people who made these decisions? And I would say like that's like media is a bit of a, or like the media ecosystem is a bit of a, a culprit in that as well, because like company penalties aren't as interesting as people penalties, um, at least in terms of the price that they pay for bad behavior. So nobody cares when like a company X gets a fine, but they care when Harvey Weinstein gets arrested. Right. Which is somebody I used to work for and that's another podcast. That probably helped inform my journey uh, along the way to here. But like, this is a, like, a there's a real thing. And so I think when people look at, you know, accountability, it's, it's not about holding the companies responsible. It's, it's holding their leadership responsible and understanding that these were decisions made by people in a, in a, in a conference room somewhere. And again, that's just like a removal of the mystique sometimes happens with, as people learn more about things. Right. And just like you can like Google your symptoms. You know, people are Googling who made that decision, right? Who's the CEO of this company? Why do they say one thing and do another? And I think those are good questions to ask. And by the way, we see the same thing happening on the nonprofit side, right? And so there are very large nonprofits and very, or very influential nonprofits who have now had to answer for things like, where does the money go? How much of their um, funding is going to compensation for, for top executives? Like all of these things are questions that maybe like Charity Navigator used to only ask. And now we've got the general public asking them before they decide to, you know, click a button on GoFundMe. So, like, this is, this is a real thing. And I think accountability is real. And I think everyone has, is learning now how to wield it. Um, and I think that's been a big turning point for our society.
0: No, I agree with you on uh, totally on that. Now, back to Kindred. As you think about growing this, what's your vision for the next three years of the impact you envision Kindred having?
1: One of the things that I love about what we do is that every decision made by an individual, you know, that 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 has learned something, either like via via kindred, right? Either from us, from our network of experts, you know, through experience with um some more trained facilitators, through access to programming, through independent research that we do for them. Like these are these are all powerful tools, right? That I can help them become like more confident in their decision. So it's just really exciting to see like one decision that can have an impact on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, right? And so when I think of like all the ways that my previous company or lots of companies like scale or don't scale, right? For me, like this is like, we are we are like you know 250 or so members strong, but every decision that even one of those members can make can actually impact millions of people. And I think that is like that kind of inversion of scale makes... What we can do so incredibly important, which is a big responsibility, obviously. Growth is important for that reason. And accelerating impact is important for that reason. So it's not just like how many people are being empowered with the ability to make better decisions, but what, it, what are the outcomes of those decisions? And how can we get people to turn from like just forces of nature inside of their own companies to become force multipliers? You know when they collaborate together, either between companies or with nonprofits. So we're constantly trying to create more, better ways for people to connect and collaborate. Which is an interesting time to do it when we're all like virtual. But now that we've got like kind of one eye, like thinking about like how are we or where are we or when are we going to get back to the office? You know, there's also that notion of like I just click a button and be in a room with seven people from around the world, and that's magic, right? And so we're 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 addressing both of those things. So over the next three years, we're going to be yes reintegrating. Live community into what we do because community is such a big part of what we do, and it's weird to think about community just as like an online thing. I know it exists as just online things, but when you think about quality of connections, seeing people in person does tend to elevate that, right? So we're going to be doing more of those. I think you know right now we're we're, we're looking at top-down decision making. At some point, we may also be looking at bottoms-up decision making because kind of important decisions. You know aren't just made by you know, the few important decisions at the top biases, inequity, these are baked into like decisions that are made at all levels within a company. So it's like how are we helping those people make better decisions too right not just the 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 folks in the c-suite, which is overwhelmingly who makes up kindred membership today. so um I imagine we'll we'll have more democratized access to the things that that we do, you know, albeit. Probably different kinds of things, because you know, to to meet the needs of of our members where they are. But I imagine that's going to be 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 a big part of it as well. And I'm just honestly just really looking forward to the the actions of our members and and figuring out how to amplify them, or at least keep them on track, right? Because like so often, um, again, like intent doesn't become action because a loss of momentum, right? Somebody misses a meeting, someone doesn't respond to an email, and then the muscle atrophies and nothing ever gets done. And so I think, um, you know, what, what I'm most excited about is growing our membership, obviously, to a scale where, again, we, we can have global impact. And of course, like making sure that we're doing everything that we can to make sure that impact actually happens and that people aren't just talking to the game but playing one.
0: Well, thanks again, Ian, for taking time to be on the show today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and find out more about Kindred?
1: Sure. Um, most importantly, they can learn more about Kindred membership at kindredmembers.com. All nonprofits receive 50% off Kindred membership. So we try to make it a very accessible program for everybody. And we do have uh, about 20% of our membership, by the way, are nonprofits. So it's, it's definitely um, attainable for, for for everyone. And then uh, if I follow me at iShafer on Twitter, um, or at Ian Shafer on LinkedIn. Um, I would also encourage following Kindred on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. And we're just at Kindred on Twitter. Um, and if you search for us, you'll know us by the purple, the white K on a purple background. Um, which is our logo. The more, the more people that are curious about us, frankly, the smarter that we get about what we do. The more questions we answer about why we're doing things, the better we get at what we do. Um, and of course, the more members that join us, the stronger we are at making things happen or the better we are making things happen. So I encourage everyone to kind of to dig in and learn more, but I also uh, you know, encourage everyone to, to become a part of the community and be a part of something special.
0: Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.